Welcome to the Stream Roots Podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in your walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but is helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Pospisil. So glad to have you join us for this episode on Pastor Jesus is Enough. With me is my friend and producer of Stream Roots, the John Blosser. John, how's it going? It's going, buddy. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. What's happening with you? Anything? Uh, lots, but for the sake of the podcast, I'm just a very busy boy. <laughs> very right. busy. Yes. All right. Today, we have a special guest for this episode, Pastor Jeremy Wrightball from Woodside Bible Church in Plymouth, Michigan. He's the executive director of Gospel-Centered Discipleship and the author of Ever-Present, How the Gospel Relocates Us in the Present. Jeremy, welcome. Can you share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here today. So, uh, yeah, um, pastoring at Woodside Bible Church in Plymouth. I've been doing that now for uh, for just over eight years. Um, I think maybe step back further than that, though. I'm uh, married. My wife, Stephanie, and I, we're going to be celebrating 18 years. Congratulations. Oh, nice. Yeah, like in a month. Oh, so wow. That's yeah. fantastic. Praise uh, God. We have two children, uh, my daughter, Allison, uh, who's 15, and my son, Ethan, who's 12. And um, and then we have Hartley, our dog. And okay. <laughs> he's a new addition, and we love him <laughs> a whole lot. So he's my children blame me and say he's the favorite in the house. Dad, it's obvious that you coddle him. And What kind of dog is it? <laughs> He's a poodle mix, a sh- uh, Shih Tzu Yorkie poodle. Wow! Um, so he's a little bit of everything, and oh, man. Okay. a lot of fun, cute little dog. So all right, <laughs> nice. Okay, all right, I have a dog. I love my dog, but uh, he's a poodle mix as well. But they're the popular but, breed. But he's right a big. Now. He's like seventy pounds. Okay, yeah. now this guy's twelve. So okay. <laughs> all right, uh, let's jump into our discussion. I want to read for us from God's Word from the Book of Revelation, chapter one, and this is what God's Word says. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The Apostle John has this amazing vision and encounter with the risen Christ in Revelation 1. He sees the glory of Jesus, and he's just struck with awe and worship. He could just fall down in fear. But Jesus assures John that he is the Alpha and the Omega. And then after this amazing encounter, Jesus speaks to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And he's also speaking to the pastors and the leaders of those churches. The exhortations in Revelation 2 and 3 are not just for churches, but pastors as well. In these letters, Jesus draws near to his elders and the pastors over his church, whether they're hurting or straying, and reminds them of his sufficiency. In these warnings and promises, Jesus has hard words for pastors 
but they are words of life. Most of all, Jesus urges pastors to keep their focus on him. Being enough is exhausting, but listen, leaders and pastors of churches, the good news is that you cannot be enough because only Jesus is enough. And on this episode of Streamers, we'll be talking through this aspect of life and ministry that Jesus is enough with author and pastor Jeremy Wrightball. And he wrote the book, Pastor Jesus is Enough. Can you tell us about that? What inspired you to write it? Yeah, I was wanting to, uh, a lot of the um, inspiration, if you will, for writing it came out of my own lived experience. Um, really back in 2018 and 2019, uh, Pastor Doug Schmidt at Woodside was the senior pastor there. And in 2018, he had announced to uh, to the church and really to his leadership as well, our campus pastors, that he was going to be transitioning and uh, coming over to Barnabas Ministries, which is so great. And um, that hey. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, uh, that was the domino that began to move. Um, some things in the Woodside about um, who we are as a church. And one of the things that Pastor Doug wanted to ensure was that there was not mission drift uh, in us. And so I'm on the team that helps write uh, and kind of uh, put together our preaching uh, calendar for the year and where we're going to be at. And so I, I was thinking through this idea of mission drift and what's what what does the church need to be? What are the, the core things that we need to hold on to in the midst of this transition so that uh, whoever the Lord sends our way next and whatever the, the next decade of ministry looks like, we're, we're staying faithful to God's Word and mm. to who He is. And so I proposed a, ser- a sermon series on Revelation 2 and 3, these seven letters to the churches. And uh, it was accepted. We actually did it in the summer of 2018. And as I was um, studying through those passages, it hit me. Uh, I think Jesus is saying something more to uh, more than just to the churches in general, but he's got direct things that he's saying to the leadership of the church, um, and and part of this may have been coming out of my background and my um, my growing up in the church and just how I interpreted that. But where where it says to the angel of the church, or, you know, Ephesus or Laodicea or whatever, um, I was taking that term there to be not not a spiritualized sense of the church, but an actual physical leader, a pastor uh, of that church. And so when I started looking through those letters um, through the lens of Jesus speaking directly to a pastor um, in a local church and and seeing that, that's when it kind of opened up to me. And, and I realized what Jesus was saying there, he was saying for me and my life, um, but also for uh, my friends in ministry and many pastors that I know um, locally and around the country. And that just, that moved me to say, I want to be able to say, take what Jesus is saying here and bring it home to us and to our lives. So that's what started it. But uh, I proposed the book uh, to several publishers. Lexham Press picked it up and said, we'd like to do this. It would be great. And the day that I signed the contract to write the book, um, it was the first of June in 2020. So we were already in lockdown, right? So everybody's sequestered at home. And I was just feeling the rumblings of that in and of itself. And then we had the weekend before George Floyd was murdered and we had uh, much of the the churning of, of what's happening in our country racially going on. And so I, I signed this contract to write this book and I walk upstairs to our living room and just this fear of dread, uh, the sense of dread comes over me. And I'm excited, but yet I'm terrified. And I looked at my wife and I said to Stephanie, uh, Stephanie, I, I don't know what I've done. She's like, well, what do you mean? This is something to celebrate. Like you, you're going to write a book. It's going to be great. You know, f- congratulations. And I'm like, no, no, no. I just, I just agreed to write a book for pastors about, uh, about their issues. Uh, you know, there's, yeah. there's a chapter in there about pastors suffering. And 
I just have this feeling that Jesus isn't going to, it's not going to be a good book and it's not going to be faithful to, to my ministry and to Christ unless I walk through some of this. I have to actually believe Jesus is enough if I'm going to say it to pastors. And so that, uh, out of that, um, just that circumstance, and then the rest of 2020 kind of went haywire and the world turned upside down and it, it feels like we're still kind of figuring that out. Um, that's where all of the, the life kind of happened to, um, to bring about um, the book and where it's at. And I was writing in the midst of those circumstances and environments, weary as a pastor myself, having to learn, if I'm going to say you know, to other pastors and other Christian leaders, Jesus is enough, I better believe it myself. I better know that experientially in my own life. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think those are the best books is when mm. you live that out, and it's because of what God has done in and through. So I love it. All right, so how should a pastor's understanding of their union with Christ shape their ministry? From So uh, the perspective here from Revelation 2 and 3, and, 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 and how should that shape their ministry? Right, so that's that's the, uh, the, the key thing in each one of these letters uh, to the seven churches that Jesus and the seven pastors is that Jesus doesn't just say to those, those leaders— um, hey, you're doing good on these three things, and I like that, and you're really uh, failing at these two things, and I don't like that, and I want you to fix it. Uh, report back to me when you get it done. Every letter starts with uh, just what you read in John chapter or in Revelation chapter 1, that what John sees. Every letter starts with Jesus taking one of those specific symbols of who he is and his glory in nature and, and revealing that to that local church and that local pastor, saying, here I am in a specific way for you and in a unique way for you. And I want you to see me. And then he, and then he brings out, here's, you know, here's, I know your works. I know your life. I know uh, where you live, those sorts of things calls five of the seven of them to repentance for certain things. And then he concludes the letter with uh, a promise of himself and uh, of, of what that, that pastor has in Christ. And so the thing that I think was just, um, coming up from the Word in my life and in what I was seeing there was Jesus was showing uh, this way of saying, like, Pastor, you belong to me. And that's where in Revelation 1, the identification of the seven angels being the seven stars that Jesus holds in his hands is so beautiful to me of Jesus saying, I've got, Pastor, I've got you right there in my hand. Nothing's going to take you out of my hand. I hold you close. I hold you tight. You belong to me. And because you belong to me, then you can live out these things that I'm going to talk to you about yeah. in your ministry and in your life. And so that's where this idea of our union with Christ, because we are in Christ. Uh, I have a pastor friend in New York City, John Stark, who likes to say, uh, because uh, uh, because we belong to Jesus, what is true of Christ is true of us. And what belongs to Christ belongs to us. Our future in Christ is as beautiful as his glory. And um, so I just think about that idea that being in Christ means we have all the resources we need for life, for ministry, for faithfulness, uh, for godliness, um, because Christ is our resource, and mm-hmm. He is He is the one who is there for us. He holds us in His hand. Amen. My grace is sufficient for you, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Okay. So, so think about Jesus' words to the seven churches. You said five out of the seven, He calls to repentance. He starts. I think it's very convicting in uh, the Ephesus. Right? Yes. You've lost your first love. Yes. They did all. The, they did seven things really well, and then it was the one. It was like, if you don't get this, it's gonna get. You're gonna get snuffed out. We, right. we need to repent. And right. Come back to the beginning, and then it ends with Laodicea. Mm-hmm. And, 
we all are familiar with the lukewarmness of that. Uh, so, so how is this relevant for pastors? Yeah. You go back to that church in Ephesus, right? At the beginning there. And Jesus says, I love your, you know, I know your works. You're a faithful church. You're a, you're a uh, true to doctrine. You're, um, you're repelling the teaching of these false teachers. Um, you're, you're just doing ministry really, really well. I love that about you. I'm, I affirm those sorts of things. But then he says, but you've lost your first love. And I think that that's where, I mean, Jesus is so poignant in pointing out how we can love ministry for ministry's sake. We can love uh, doing the, you know, doing the work of ministry, preaching and teaching and counseling people and seeing uh, spiritual growth in their life and seeing the movement of the gospel. We can love all those things, and it can become such that we love those things more than we actually love Jesus. And so we get we get disordered loves, um, as Augustine says it, and um, all of a sudden, the thing that should be most important isn't most important, and that's where Jesus is just kind of reorienting them, and we need to be reoriented to Him. If I... Uh, one of the th- um, early Sundays after we had started regathering back in 2020 kind of showed me this where um, prior to 2020, uh, Plymouth, uh, Woodside Plymouth, the campus I lead, uh, had been growing uh, significantly. We had just seen so much kind of the upward trajectory of ministry uh, metrics and the things that you want to baptisms and attendance and membership and all those. Yes, these are the things. Um, and uh, shortly after we started regathering, it was like the church was cut in half. Um, I, I turned around one Sunday morning and, you know, there's 10 people in the room. To start the service, you know, a few more trickled in, thankfully, but my heart just, and, and I had felt since I had been um, the the first campus pastor at Woodside Plymouth, I had been leading this one from its inception, really. I just looked back and I, I just, I can't push that rock up the hill again. I, I don't have it in me. I am, and that's, that's when this phrase came into my mind, I am not enough for this. And as we continued to sing that morning, I just started hearing Jesus remind me, you're not, Jeremy, <laughs> but I am. <laughs> yeah, amen. I am. Amen. So you had the, ch- uh, well, it's kind of like the church planner heart attack. You're like, eh, yeah, yeah, come in? Is I hope come, come today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so when you think about this as a pastor and as a leader, we all have our own anxieties, mm-hmm. maybe even, you know, our own insecurities, your own issues. John's over there and he's shaking his head. No, he doesn't have any problems <laughs> nope, at all. Not at all. <laughs> I'd be happy to share. Tell some. me your secret, please. <laughs> well, what are some anxieties that pastors, I would say, even leaders or ministry leaders face, and how does this book address them? Right. Well, we, um, I think, as you both know, <laughs> there's a reality where we feel we've got to be multi-competent in just about everything we do as pastors. And so if, you know, if you're leading a large church, you've got to have kind of that, that uh, visionary uh, swagger as it were, and ability to kind of lead multiple things and departments and uh, just cast vision really well and keep people engaged and moving forward. If you lead a smaller church, you've got more of a generalist hat that you've got to put on and like do everything and uh, know everything. And so those, that, that, uh, anxiety of multi-competency can become very, very distinct on your back of like, I've you know, I've got to take care of this and that, so I've got to counsel these people, I've got to preach this sermon, and it's got to be a good sermon because now we live stream everything, and so the entire <laughs> world is going to watch it, and um, if they like it, they may show up and be live in person with us. We carry that. We've got to, we've got to pray well. We've got to order our homes well. I mean, it's just all of these things start to begin to pile up with us, and when we have that perspective of like, I can't fail in this. I can't have an off day. 
um, there's uh, about 8.45 on Sunday mornings when uh, um, our, our first service is at 9, when people start coming in the building, that's when there's a little mechanism that goes on in my brain of like, all right, I'm on, you know, and I've just got to be really ready and really uh, able to serve the church. And so you just, I feel that as an anxiety day in and day out. Um, you couple that with the uh, anxiety of care for the local church, like Paul says, I carry the anxiety for the churches all day long. Yeah, yeah. He's thinking a lot of churches, but but I think that there's that, you know, those people in our minds are like, okay, this couple needs help. Um, that situation I've got to address. Um, these events are coming. So you've just got so much uh, along the way. If the church isn't doing well, if there's not a, um, you know, if the the metrics or the numbers of the church are, are um, down, the budgets are down, all of that, you've got to carry that financial burden and try and hope that that picks up. And just there are so many weights, and we could go on. Um, at the heart of it, though, Jesus is addressing us by saying it's not so much about building your platform, building your brand. It's not so much about you being uh, competent for everything. I think about what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians, who is sufficient for all these things? Mm. It's not me, <laughs> not in a way. Um, John Blosser. No. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> um, that's where Jesus begins in each of these letters to these churches to address, okay, you're... Uh, so the pastor in Ephesus is concerned about his faithfulness in ministry and his ministry really doing well, but he's forgetting his love. Mm. Jesus says, okay, come back to your first love. Yeah, amen. Come back to me. I'll take care of that. You go to Laodicea at the end. This is a church that's wealthy and affluent, and by everything external, you look, look at them and think, wow, they're doing great. They would think so. And yet Jesus says, you're blind, and you're broken, and you're lukewarm, and and those famous words like i want to i want to spit you out of my mouth kind of mm. thing and the issue he's dressing there is they're doing all these things but they're they're forsaking fellowship with him and true repentance and coming close to him and so he's like i'm at the door knocking you open up i'll, I'll come and be at the table with you there will not be broken fellowship here but but don't fixate on the stuff fix your eyes on me um, the church in philadelphia is dealing with this they're a smaller church and a community that is just dominating them. It's the Roman Empire is just having their way. Um, Jesus says, I know you have little power. Mm. And yet he says, don't think that your littleness makes you uh, uh, makes you wrong or makes you insignificant or ineffectual. He says, I've put before you an open door that nobody else has. Yeah. Nobody else can close it. It's your open door. I think that was a way of Jesus saying, I've got you here in this city strategically to do something, even though you're small and you feel you have no power and the enemy is winning, I'm enough for you, again. Um, so I think those are ways in which Jesus shows us his His power, his grace for us, his love of us. Um, that's how the letter, uh, chapter one starts, to him who loved us yeah. and freed us from our sins by his blood. He loves us. He's taking care of us. Amen. We just have to fix our eyes on him. Yeah, amen to that. That's good news. Yeah, and it starts with that, again, that before we address the church is this that amazing vision of who he is and his glory and all of right. that. Right. And, and his authority. So, okay, uh, what about this last question here? What do you hope will happen in the lives of pastors and leaders as a result of reading this book? Yeah. I, I hope and my prayer is that as, um, as people in the church, as leaders, pastors read this, first of all, that they'll be encouraged, um, that, that they will see... Um, that Jesus is the one who says, I will build my church, right? There's no command in Scripture to say, grow your church, right? Yeah. Jesus does that. And even beyond the metrics of it, Jesus is the one who is Lord and Savior of his bride, 
It's his church. Amen. And so I, I hope that by reading this, we'll get, uh, we'll get our eyes back on Christ again. We'll see him. We'll trust him more. Faith will uh, be built in our hearts. And, and then where there are those places where there is a need for correction in our viewpoint of ministry, in our, in our, uh, in our hearts, in our homes, and those sorts of things, that the, the caution and the, the call to repentance that Jesus gives to many of those churches will be taken uh, to heart in our own lives. Um, I, I hope that this becomes a way for us to do some self-evaluation and to ask ourselves, you know, am I, am I trusting Jesus more than I'm trusting uh, my ministry success? Or um, am I trusting Jesus more than I am, um, you know, feeling like I should bail out of ministry because of suffering right now? Whatever that might be, I, I hope that this book helps encourage us to see Jesus to be corrected by him and to draw near to him because of his love and affection for us and what he has done for us. I hope it produces worship in our lives. I love it. So, so let me just throw one more in here. As you did this book, what changed in your life? Hmm. Um, a lot. I hope, <laughs> like I said earlier, I think this, you know, writing this book was more uh, in some ways for me than it was for the the pastors and the people that I've written it for. Um, I, I, I've had to live these things out, and I've even felt like since the book is released, uh, Jesus is reteaching me the lessons again. And so, um, you know, my my hopes and my hearts kind of ride ride uh, the waves and the uh, the crest of you know. Well, it's been a good Sunday. Attendance was up. Great. Well, does that is that what matters most? No, you know. And I've, you know, yes, I'm a couple years removed from writing the book, but I still have to remember the lesson, and I still have to know it in my heart. Um, I hope. You know, one of the things that has been um, God working out in me is still just this this sense of humility, this need for humility, and this need for um, trusting Jesus in every situation of my life, and mm-hmm. and coming back to saying, okay, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. Um, I need I need Christ to repair and heal my heart. And um, so, along the way, as He's talking about repentance to these churches, um, and there's a whole chapter that deals with that. Um, it's it's been something that he's I think and I hope has been working out in me uh, to be more like him and to just lay my my burden my sin before him um, so that I'm healed. Yeah, I think you said it earlier too. Right? You got to remember Jesus loves us. Yes, he loves us and he corrects us because he loves us and he knows Absolutely. what's best. It's his church. It's not ours. It's not mine. His. He's the head of the church and and uh, and it's good to take these warnings. You know, he loves us enough to to speak truth to us and encourage us when we need it to rebuke us when we need it as well. So. All right, great. Very much. And you can grab this book, uh, Jesus, Pastor Jesus is Enough, anywhere, uh, Amazon. You can get it on Amazon, ChristianBook.com. I think they have the best price on it right now, ChristianBook.com does. Um, Barnes & Noble, wherever you find fine books. <laughs> Mine will be there just next to them. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Well, hey, thank you, Pastor Jeremy, for the time, for being here. And uh, I want to sign off. Stream Roots is a production of Barnabas Ministries. You can learn more at Barnabas Ministries, MI. Dot O-R-G. That's Barnabas Ministry, M-I.org. If you find this podcast helpful, please uh, rate it or leave a review. It allows us to get God's word out to more and more people. And we'd be grateful if you did. We release an episode every Monday morning, Stream Roots, Drawing Deep from the Living Water of God's Word. Mm-hmm.